Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'll read and then we'll pray. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me? Father, by your word, the heavens and the earth were made. By your word, you called light into darkness. And today, Lord, it is your word that we have just read. It is your word that we need to shine into our hearts as you speak it to us by your spirit. Father, prepare our hearts to be fertile soil. For the word to take root. Prepare our minds understand. And God, I pray that you would enable us to fight off the excuses that will come into our heads telling us that this does not apply. And by your spirit, God, I ask that you would allow me to communicate your word in truth, boldness, so that the light of Christ can shine into our hearts today. And Lord, may you receive all the glory and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've ever done any woodworking, then you've probably had the experience of sanding your project. Um, Maybe you're taking one hand and, and, and gliding it over the wood, feeling for any, you know, bumps or rough spots, any imperfections. And then in your other hand, you've got the sandpaper and you're, and you're sanding it down and, and, and removing the impurities. I've found that I often relate to myself in this way. Constantly aware of what's wrong. Constantly having revealed to me the little rough spots, the little imperfections. And, and, and far be it from just rough spots or imperfections. Sometimes the wood is warped and twisted and seems to be rotting a little bit. And I'm just always aware of what's wrong with me. And unfortunately, that's the way many of us relate to ourselves in the Christian faith. We know that God has called us to this standard. to put a high calling of righteousness in our lives. And we read scripture and scripture feels like that sandpaper just rubbing over those areas where we are not what we believe we should be. 
Do you ever relate to others in this way? Aware of their rough spots? Maybe your kids, your spouse. We feel like it's our responsibility to work those things out of them. Many people relate to the church in this way. Aware of the things that they don't like about the church, maybe a, a, a local church or the church in general. And so we regard ourselves as whistleblowers, constantly just waving the flag. This is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. In these first 11 verses of the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul reveals God's heart to us in God's heart for us in these rough spots, in these areas of imperfection. Throughout the rest of the book, Paul is going to address some of the areas where the church is getting it wrong. There's arrogance in the church. There's division in the church. There's evidence that people are using their social status to exalt themselves in the church. But what Paul gives them in these verses is what our hearts need today. He doesn't lean in and blast them for what is wrong. He celebrates the grace of God in the lives of imperfect people. So Paul knows something that we need to be reminded of, that the Christian life from beginning to end is a good work of God's grace. From beginning to end, from start to finish, from the moment you believed to the moment you breathe at your last, your life in Christ is a good work of God's grace. So the Christian life begins in grace. Paul says in verses three through five, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, Paul is remembering the moment the Philippian church began. He's recalling the first day that they believed, which we can read about in the book of Acts, chapter 16. See, Paul had it on his mind to go to Asia. He wanted to preach the gospel in Asia, but the word of God says that he was not permitted. The spirit of God would not let him go. And he had a vision one day of a man from Macedonia. Roman Philippi is in, is in the area of Macedonia. And so he has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, Paul, come and help us. And so he and his traveling companions, they make their journey into Philippi. And when they get there, they begin looking for a place where they believe they might found worship, find worshipers of God praying. And so they go to this little, uh, this quiet little riverbank. And there they meet uh, a group of women. One of them, uh, their name is, is Lydia. And Lydia uh, works in dyeing textiles. She works in, in purple and scarlet uh, fabrics. And if you know anything about the ancient world, royalty and people of high status were dressed in scarlet and blue and, 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 and purple. These dyes were incredibly expensive. And so Lydia is a woman of prominence in Philippi. And so Paul tells her about Jesus, tells her the gospel, and, and, and she believes. And then she takes Paul with them back to her house, and he communicates the gospel to the whole household, and they all believe, and they're baptized. And they're, they're walking around the city doing ministry together, and there's a, a servant girl, very low end on the status totem pole. And she's 
oppressed by a demon. And, and, and Acts 16 says that she was a fortune teller. She used to make her masters uh, quite wealthy in her fortune telling. And she's following Paul and the, the traveling companions and she's mocking their ministry. So Paul gets furious and he turns around and he says, come out of her. And casts the demon out of this servant girl, restores her. And her masters are furious because all their hopes of their wealth have just been taken away from them. And so they have Paul and Silas, one of his traveling companions, arrested. They have him beaten. They have him thrown in jail. And they're in jail. And it says that Paul and Silas in the night are praying and singing hymns together. Here they are. They've just been beaten by the magistrates. Their wounds are still open. Their legs are in shackles. And they're worshiping. And Acts 16 says that there's this great earthquake and all the doors of the jail are opened and the shackles are broken. And when the jailer realizes what happens, he, he's, he's freaked out. If his prisoners escape, Caesar will have his head. And so he's freaked out. So he prepares to fall on his own sword. And Paul says, stop, don't do it. He says, we're all here. We're not going anywhere. And the jailer goes, well, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And the jailer believes in Jesus and his life is transformed. And he invites Paul and Silas into his house. He's tending to their wounds and they preach the gospel to his whole household and they believe and are baptized. This is the beginning of the Philippian church. A wealthy, aristocratic woman a lowly servant girl and a Roman official. Do you think they're going to have some issues understanding how their social status, their varying degrees of social status affect their relationships in Christ? You better believe it. This is the beginning of the church in Philippi. And Paul writes to them now as they've grown and as they've, they've learned Christ together and they may be struggling with arrogance and division and persecution, but the reason Paul can celebrate them is because in spite of it all, he knows that Jesus is at work in them. He saw it. He witnessed it. He saw the lives change. He saw the life come back to that little girl's eyes. He saw a a, a man who was enslaved to Caesar turn to Jesus as Lord. Christ had begun a good work in them. And it isn't just the church in Philippi that God looks, that, that Paul looks at in this way. See, Philippi If you read the letters of Paul and you hear the things that he talks about in some of these letters, Philippi is like a church that's pretty easy to love. In in the grand scheme of things, there's not a ton of drama. There's drama. There's not a lot of drama. But this isn't just how Paul views the Philippians. Think of the Corinthians. In the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul addresses with division in the church. They are celebrating sexual immorality. They're suing one another. They're tempted toward idol worship. At one time, Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, the communion, the the bread and the cup, and says, when you get together and celebrate communion, you do more harm than good. He says, some of you, the wealthy, you're, you're glutting yourselves and getting drunk on the communion wine while the poor in the church are going hungry. The thing that is supposed to unite us 
to remind us of our union with Christ and our union with one another. When you do it, it divides. It's crazy. They're exalting themselves as spiritual gifts. And some of them in Corinth have even begun denying that Christ has risen from the dead. Imagine moving to a new town. Right, you're new to Carpinteria. And you ask a friend, hey, I'm looking for a good church. And they send you to a church. And this is what you see. Like, do these people even know Jesus? Like, what in the world is going on? The drama, the sin, the, the, the confusion. Like, this is not okay. But listen to how Paul begins his letter to the struggling sinful people in Corinth. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. The book of 1 Corinthians is one slap after another. And he looks at them and says, I love you guys. I can't stop thanking God for you guys. Every time I think of you. I have to read it and like... (laughs) I think maybe this letter needed to be forwarded to like the Ephesians or something. Like not, not Corinth. Paul, what are you thinking? Here's the point. Regardless of what's going on in a church, regardless of the sin and, and the, the temptations toward division and all of these things, when Paul speaks to the church, he leads with his awareness of grace rather than his awareness of sin. When Paul speaks to the church, when God thinks of the church, when God writes to the church by the Holy Spirit through his apostles, what he is most mindful of in us is not the presence of our sin, but the evidences of grace. Would we be more aware of the evidences of grace in our own lives and in the lives of others than we are evidences of sin? Don't get me wrong, we don't ignore sin. Okay, we don't sweep sin under the rug. We deal with sin when it is exposed and we deal with it through love and through faith and repentance, but we don't sniff it out and rub people's noses in it. Okay, don't show up to church or a home group or a Bible study being a sin sniffer, like a, like a, like a drug sniffing dog, just like, I smell it. One of you. There's sin in the camp and I'm going to make it my responsibility to dig it out and expose it because I am going to purify you. Don't do that. See, Paul, what Paul is looking for, Paul is not some drug sniffing dog. Paul is like a gold miner. He knows that there's gold in these hills. He shows up to a community following Jesus and knows that there's treasure there. And he's looking for the treasure to expose the treasure, to remind the church that what is in us, what makes us, what identifies us as Christians is the beautiful treasure of the grace of God. And so he knows what's going on. And he thanks God for you. Sin is not what defines you. Grace is what defines you. Christian life begins in grace and it continues in grace. Philippians 1 7 says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. 
For you you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Where before they were referred to as those who have partnership in the gospel, Paul says now that they continue to partake with him of grace. These words, partnership and partake, in the original language have the same root word, koinonia. And koinonia is the classic word in the New Testament that's translated fellowship, communion. It means sharing, having things in common. And so at the beginning, when they participated in the gospel, they communed in the gospel when Paul brought the gospel to their community. Now in their lives of service to him, they are partnering, partaking in that they're having that same communion, shared fellowship with Paul in his ministry, in the grace that has been given to him. The crazy thing is, is that Paul defines this grace as imprisonment and the defense and the proclamation of the gospel. Paul says that the grace that is given to him is imprisonment, defending the gospel, and confirming the gospel. I don't know if I would refer to imprisonment as grace. We'll get into this in the next passage, this next Sunday about how Paul views his struggles in prison. But because of the Philippians' care for him, because their their commitment to him, see, they just had delivered a, a gift of money to Paul in prison to care for his practical needs. They had sent Epaphroditus, one of the leaders in the church, to Paul to comfort him, to encourage him, and to bring this gift of, uh, of resources. And Paul is, is overjoyed and comforted, comforted that, they, that they thought of him, that they, they tended to his needs. And because of their care for him, Paul says that they are all active participants in the work that God is doing in his life. That by supporting him, by uh, praying for him. So we have missionaries all over the world. And by supporting them and by praying for them, the fruit of their ministry is your ministry. The the, the grace that God has given to them is grace given to you that you partake of as they serve because you support them with your tithes and offerings here and we give to them. And so we share, we commune in the grace of God that is given to others when we pray and when we serve And when we support them, when you pray for the leaders of the church, when you support the ministries of the church, when you serve in any capacity of the church, you are sharing in the work of grace that God has given to us as a people. See, anything good that happens that brings glory to God at Reality Carpinteria is not an individual's ministry. It's not a small group of people's ministry. It's your ministry. That you partake in as you pray and as you serve and as you give. Just showing up today to worship is partaking in the grace of God that he has given to our church and to our community. We participate in the celebration together of what God is doing. It takes all of us. Think of a clock. 
Remember in junior high, I made a clock in woodshop. And uh, a clock, for the most part, you look on the outside, it's a simple machine, right? There's a, there's a dial, there's some numbers, and there's three hands. Hour hand, the minute hand, and the second hand, just in case you didn't know how a clock worked. Let you know. And it looks like a simple machine, but behind the face of the clock is, is an intricate connection of interlocking gears that all work together so that each hand running off the same power source turns at a different speed. So that when you look at the face, it looks like a simple device and you know what time it is. We all are like interconnected participants in the grace of God, all working together to present the truth and love of Jesus to our community. It takes all of us interconnected, working together to accomplish the goal of glorifying Jesus. Everything you do, worshiping on Sundays, gathering in homes, home group, studying the Bible, serving, showing up in the rain and setting up at the church. God bless you all. Thank you for serving. We're all interconnected parts working together for God's mission in us. Now, sometimes it's easy to downplay our role, our participation in God's ministry in the church. I remember a season early on in my ministry um, where I was particularly discouraged about what I was doing in ministry and what I wasn't doing in ministry. I felt like my job had become a, a junk drawer of, of logistical, you know, administrative things. And I remember just sitting at my desk at times like, God, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, I want the, want the glorious ministry. I was very, very uh, frustrated with the, what I saw as little insignificant things. And I remember one day being particularly, particularly frustrated and, and, and in all, all seriousness, bordering on bitterness and opening God's word and coming to a passage in the book of Exodus chapter 37. And I read about a man named Bezalel. Bezalel is the one, the artist, the craftsman who built the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant is the most holy uh, vessel in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was said to dwell on the top of the, the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat between the wings of the cherubim. And I remember looking at that and going, man, that must have been awesome. You know, the, the privilege of, of, of crafting the very place where God's spirit will dwell. And I remember getting hit in the face like a ton of bricks by the word of God, just speaking to my heart, saying, Adam, every time you do anything that affects anybody who has my Holy Spirit, it's the same work. It's the same work crafting where the spirit of God will dwell, whether you're answering a phone, sending an email, ordering something on Amazon, whatever it is you've been asked to do, if it serves the people of God, if it serves the dwelling place of God, you better do that thing like Bezalel. It completely changed my perspective on ministry. It completely changed the way I 
answered the phone or answered an email or ordered things on Amazon or whatever it is, whatever you are doing, if it affects anyone who has the spirit of God, you are crafting the temple of God from preaching to wiping the nose of the child sitting next to you. If it's your child, don't do it if it's not. You are crafting temples of the Holy Spirit. This is what ministry is. If you believed in Jesus, that's who you are. If you care for people who believe in Jesus, that's what you're doing. And if you minister to someone who does not yet know Jesus, you can watch them as they accept the gospel, as they trust in Jesus. You can watch them in that moment become a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is what ministry is. And so as the Philippians shared in Paul's, uh, in Paul's need, in his circumstances, they shared in his imprisonment, they shared in his defense of the gospel, they shared in his proclamation of the gospel, they shared in the grace of God that has been given to him. See, God's grace has been poured into our lives and is being poured through our lives into the lives of those who are desperate to be reminded of God's grace. God's grace to you is designed to be God's grace through you so that others might know the grace of God to them. The Christian life begins in grace and it continues in grace. And because of this, because of beginning in grace and the continuation of grace in the lives of the Philippians, Paul is confident that they will be completed in grace. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This word completion is also translated fulfilled or perfected. Listen to me. All of us need to hear this. Some of us need to write it down. Some of us need to commit it to memory. The moment you believed in Jesus, God began a good work in you. You might be struggling today. Okay, you might be struggling with sin, with doubt, with fear, but rest assured that God has no unfinished projects. God will not leave his craftsmanship unfinished. The moment he began the work in you, he committed to completing the work in you. Regardless of what you're experiencing today, regardless of what you experienced this week, regardless of the rough spots in your life where you look at and you know this doesn't align, regardless of that, God is committed to completing the work in you and your confidence in the completed work that you will be. It does not rest on your ability It does not rest on what you did this last week or what you will do in the upcoming weeks. Your confidence that you will one day stand before God complete, perfected in glory rests solely and squarely on the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The voice that tells you to try harder, to do better, to do more, And then God will be pleased in you. It's not the voice of scripture. It's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
Because when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. He was speaking of the work that God gave him to do, to redeem you from your sin and to pave a way into glory. Your assurance that you will stand complete is in the completed work of your Savior. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. You will be tempted to only see your sin and failure. Others will be tempted to only see your sin and failure. You will only be tempted to see the sins and failures of others. But as Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship. Workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem. Like a musician labors over a song, like a sculptor labors over the work of his hands, joyfully anticipating what will be revealed. God himself joyfully and graciously labors over you. Knowing what you will become. Because by his grace, he has already made you holy. We don't need to be like the critics of our culture who are seeing it as their responsibility to just wave the flag and blow the whistle about everything that's wrong. Don't be like the fool that scoffs at a work of art before it's finished. We are works in progress. Take heart, be patient, be encouraged, because if you have trusted in Jesus, then you are in the master's hands. Whatever your life looks like today, your life is in the hands of Jesus. And so this life of grace that begins in grace, that continues in grace, that is completed in grace. The way we live is simply practicing to become who God has already made us by grace. I want to point back to how the letter began. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Philippi, when we think of saints today, we often think of the spiritual elite who have attained some status of worthy to have a sculpture made out of us and planted in a church somewhere. That's not how Paul uses the word saints. The word saints just means holy ones. Ones who have been made holy. Paul, fully aware of the sin and difficulty in the church in Philippi. The Lord Jesus, fully aware of the sin in the church in Carpinteria. He will address it, but he addresses you as holy ones. He has called you to be holy. And the life of grace is learning to live in light who God has already made us. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to agree with how Paul prays in the scriptures and pray it over us today, that it is my prayer that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Father, we ask you today in us to do what your scriptures promise, that you would pour your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom you have given us. Lord, craft us in your love. Shape us by your grace. Make us more like Jesus. And may you receive all the glory in the church. In Jesus' name, amen.